Hey, Rob Bradford here. You guys know I'm always up for a good MVP story, and one of the best stories is Wasabi Technology. Wasabi is the world's hottest cloud storage company, and it's become the go-to provider for professional and collegiate sports teams, including 20 major league baseball teams like the Red Sox and NHL teams like the Bruins and Vancouver Canucks. Even the Liverpool Football Club is getting in on the Wasabi action. So why is Wasabi the MVP? Well, Wasabi was purpose-built to free businesses from skyrocketing storage costs and unpredictable transaction fees that the Amazons of the world are charging. In fact, Wasabi is up to 80% less than those hyperscalers and doesn't charge a cent for businesses to access their data. From Wasabi's AI-enabled intelligent media storage, Wasabi Air, to the industry's only cloud storage service with triple protection against cyber criminals, data deletion, and ransomware, Wasabi's taking the lead in driving innovation in data storage and helping sports teams to unleash the power of their data. Wasabi, another Boston-based champion team. This is Green and Gold History. 50 plus years of stories, championships, and colorful characters. This is Ace Baseball. This is Green and Gold History. This episode of Green and Gold History is presented by New Era. New Era Cap is proud to be the official cap of your Oakland athletics. Next time you visit the Coliseum, be sure to drop by the New Era Cap stand to pick up your A's New Era Authentic Collection Cap. Remember, you can always visit us at NewEraCap.com to shop our latest selection, including our limited edition and exclusive drops. New Era Cap, the official on-field cap of Major League Baseball. We have come upon another Memories with Boost. This is Episode 6 as we talk about the 1974 season with the A's Longtime uh, clubhouse manager has been with the club since 1968, day one. Steve Businich retiring after 54 years. And, Boos, I do want to get into 74, but I have to fast forward at least because of this week. The A's are on the road. They're, uh, they were just in New York, and you were presented a very nice gift by members of the, uh, of the staff of the New York Yankees, a Yankee jersey with the number 54 on it in home pinstripes. What was that like? Well, first of all, it was quite a surprise. They uh, – Asked somebody when we got to town how many years that I'd been there. So uh, that's where the 54 came from, obviously. But it's also kind of a nice gesture because Goose Gossage was one of my favorite guys with the A's, with the White Sox, with the with the Yankees, and wherever else he bounced around to. So it was kind of neat. And I did, after I posted that on Twitter, the photo and everything, uh, I heard from Goose. So that was pretty cool. But it was the clubhouse guys that took the initiative. It was a very classy thing for the Yankees to do. Uh, Aaron Boone wrote something special on there, too. So, you know, I was deeply touched. And it, was a, it was an amazing day. So 1974 is our subject. And uh, I'll, I'll get you to, at the end, talk about what you said at the end of our last episode, what you feel like, the, in your estimation, and you would know you've been around since day one, that 74 you feel like is uh, maybe the best team in Oakland history. But let's go back to the beginning, or maybe the beginning of the end of 73. A's win back-to-back World Series, uh, win the last two games against the Mets to win the World Series at the Coliseum. Dick Williams is gone. Alvin Dark is in. Spring training rolls around, and uh, the fancy rings that Charlie Finley had bragged about never really came. What was that episode like as, uh, as 74 was slowly getting out of the gate? Well, the funny thing is, is after the conclusion of the uh, 73 season, Charlie said goodbye to Dick, and then Dick was signing a deal with the Yankees. And uh, Charlie said, no, you can't go. We want you back here. I didn't let you go. And there was arguments about 
whether Charlie actually said that, good luck, whatever. So we went all the way until about a week before spring training, not knowing who our manager was going to be. Was Dick coming back? Was Charlie going to hire somebody else? And he kind of surprised everybody by hiring Alvin Dark. You know, I compare that to when when the uh, when John Madden quit the Raiders and before Tom Flores was hired, the Raiders personnel that I deal with went like 10 days in the offseason without a coach. They thought that was unbelievable. And I said, hey, we went till seven days before spring training without a manager. So anyway, Alvin Dark comes in. Uh, the World Series rings comes in. Charlie does not come to give him out. Hands him out. It's just a plain green stone, glass stone. Uh, the year before, had a nice carrot diamond in the middle. Charlie had promised that, hey, if you win two in a row, you ain't seen nothing yet. But I think the dissatisfaction with the players over the Mike Andrews thing, the players' family seedings, the 73 World Series, the Dick Williams thing, all factored in. And Charlie said, screw it. I'm not going to do it. And he didn't. And it upset a lot of our players. Catfish Hunter likened it to a high school ring. And uh, we went from there. And uh, players were very disappointed. So, How different was Alvin Dark to Dick Williams? Well, Dick liked to have a cocktail. Dick liked to be friends with the players. He was considered a, a player's manager as much as he could. But he was also a strict disciplinarian. And Alvin comes in, and the first thing he does is pass out Bibles to everybody. Everybody knew Alvin was very religious. There's absolutely nothing wrong with that, but it was a complete opposite of Dick Williams. So, But Alvin had known a few of these guys. He had managed Reggie and a few of those guys, Joe Rudy, Raleigh, in a brief stint in Kansas City before the team moved out to Oakland. So he was familiar with people, and he was obviously very familiar with Charlie Finley and knew what was in store for him. And uh, Alvin was okay. He, I mean, we, that club uh, went from wi almost wire to wire, uh, had, uh, I think, the fewest amount of pitchers on the team. I want to think it was 11 or 12 total. Now you opening day, you've got 13. And, that's, and uh, so I think our last pitcher wasn't added until – September as a favorite of West Stock, who was a pitching coach who had Bill Parsons as a rookie in uh, Milwaukee a few years before that. So the reason I say it's the best team, we made fewer roster changes. We had fewer injuries. We we had some excitement, but uh, almost wire to wire. And I, that's why I think that's the best club we've had. Leading into that season, Boos, you could say what you want. All the things about Charlie Finley, there's a lot of baggage to uh, unpack there but he was one person as the players association was beginning in the late 60s with marvin miller in charge already had a strike in 1972 he said let the players be free agents each and every year let them flood the market and keep at least in his estimation keep salaries down arbitration was something that the players won coming out of the strike in 72 and that first off season going into 74 the a's were involved and there were several arbitrations uh, what was that mood like? It's you know there was always holdouts, there was always contentious conversations between Charlie and his players. But now there was a mechanism in place that both sides had to adhere to. Well, in uh, you know, that first arbitration year, I think we won every case but one or maybe two, and there were quite a few. Well, the players were excited because they finally got the feeling that they're getting their due because their salaries were getting compared to players on other teams that were maybe a little bit more generous and weren't as tight as Charlie Finley. And your mention about let all the players be free agents, that scared the Players Association to death. Marvin Miller and Dick Moss and the Players Association at the time did not want that to happen because they could see that if there was good competition, there were going to be a lot of three-, four-, and five-year contracts coming on board. Uh, let everybody be a free agent after one year would have 
say somebody has a bad year and now they're not that uh, desirable because their numbers were down. Whereas if you lock them in for three, four years, they've got that money and they're not going anywhere. So uh, I know Catfish did not go to uh, arbitration. He was about to, but he signed a two-year, $200,000 deal, 100000 a year. And a couple of our players thought he made a mistake because uh, he should have locked himself up for the second year. But as we all know, he won a Cy Young that year. He was declared a free agent because Charlie Finley messed up on the payment in his salaries. And, uh, Catfish wanted the uh, fifty thousand of his salary to be paid to to an insurance company, and uh, Charlie didn't want to do that. And they were only arguing at the end of the year over the amount of taxes on fifty thousand dollars, really. So it was a shame to lose Catfish that way. Reggie went to arbitration; he won. Uh, Holzman won. I think Fingers won. I wasn't sure about tennis, but uh, most of those guys won. I think Charlie was totally ill-prepared, whereas a lot of these guys had pretty good agents. Jerry Capstein comes to mind. He had he had three or four of those guys, and he had a, a mechanism in place similar to what Scott Morris's agency has now, just a lot of stat people in there that could pull up all these stats and really impress the arbiter. And uh, so that's why Charlie won. Now, Charlie won a few more the next year, but uh, he really got beat up in that first year of arbitration. Boost, we know in today's game, there's there's stories online. There's stories still in the newspaper. You've got so many media outlets that are covering major sports on a regular basis. And I remember reading a story about Ken Holtzman and his arbitration revolving around a story written in the San Francisco Chronicle by the longtime writer. They've been there since the 30s, Bob Stevens, where he was I guess somebody pulled a wool over his eyes. Do you remember that story with, with Ken Holtzman and, and uh, Wells uh, Twombly, who was from the San Francisco Examiner, who took the phone call and pretended to be Holtzman and just thought it was a gag. And next thing you knew, there was a story in the Chronicle about how Holtzman was so upset on the eve of his arbitration with Charlie. I, d- I do remember that, uh, not in the detail that you guys, you just probably mentioned, but I remember uh, Wells Twomley being involved in, and Bob Stevens was a class man, a great writer, and he knew the game and was appreciated by the players because of the way he acted around the clubhouse. But uh, Wells Twomley kind of took the ball and ran with that, and it really upset Holtzman. And uh, nothing you could do about it then. It was already in the papers and apologizes, apologies forthcoming, but it was, it was kind of a funny time, really. And then in spring training, Charlie announces that he wanted to bring in a track star from Michigan State, Herb Washington. He had one job and one job only, to be a designated pinch runner. And he didn't have an at-bat the entire year. But that had to be met with all kinds of different looks. I know Charlie had done different things in the past, but this, this one seemed even to take it a step further. What was what was happening with that? Well, going back even to the Kansas City years, he had a guy named Alan Lewis who stole 100 some odd bases in the minor leagues one season. So Alan was kind of our designated runner uh, he was eligible for the 72 series and wasn't for the 73, but he'd been with us all parts of all those years, but he was a player. It's called the Panamanian express. He was from Panama. He was also an outfielder. And I think he did get a few at bats, although never in postseason. So it was the conversation between Charlie and Alvin dark about how well stacked their club was. If they stayed healthy, they could afford a person like that. So Charlie went out and did some research and found out who the best sprinter was. And, uh, he had uh, world-class sprinting times, Olympic times. And so uh, he hired him and brought him in. And I guess Herbie hadn't played baseball since his junior year in high school. That didn't go over too well. I do remember the first day, all the hype about him coming into camp. And 
Dick Green in an infinite way and funny way that he was. He just immediately called him Hurricane Herb and everybody was laughing about it. And a lot of guys were upset because it was really taking a position away from somebody who had fought through the minor leagues and had not made any money. And it was costing at least one person a job for the 74 season. So Charlie goes out and he brings in Maury Wills to give him instruction for about a week. And when people found out that Maury was being paid 10000 for one week and wouldn't even wear an age uniform when he's on the field, they wore a Dodger uniform, it really kind of upset the players, especially 10000 at that time was probably half the salary for a lot of the teams, a lot of the guys on the team making twenty twenty two thousand. 22000 So uh, he worked with Herb, and I'll never forget, it was the last day that Maury was going to be there, and they finally put Herb in a game, and he's pinch running in the ninth inning. And the umpire... They threw over there one time, and then the umpire the next time he threw over it called a box, so we didn't get a chance to see him steal. Raleigh was so upset because he was staying. He waited. He pitched a fifth inning or sixth inning, and he waited all game to watch Herb try to steal a base, and he ended up throw, getting thrown out of, the, out of the game because he was yelling at the umpire so bad. So it's pretty funny. Here he's finally going to get a chance with Maury Wills, and uh, he doesn't get to because he was blocked the second. Moose, uh, this week uh, in 2021, the A's have the first – round of the Baybridge series, which will be happening over in San Francisco with the A's against the Giants. And as uh, we show up at Oracle Park, a couple booths down will be uh, Hall of Fame broadcaster John Miller, who was 22 or 23 John Miller from Hayward back in 1974 and hired by Charlie to do the games on the radio for the A's. Do you have memories of, of John Miller way back when? Well, I knew he had been hired. I didn't know about his age, but he was sharing an office with the traveling secretary at the time, Jim Bank. And Jimmy came, when I walked by, and says, uh, meet John Miller. How old do you think he is? I said, well, I don't know, 35 or 40. No, he was the same age as me, 22 years old in 74. So that was my first uh, introduction to John. John did a great job. You could tell he was going to do go on to great things. He, he had fun um, in the broadcast, but apparently Charlie didn't like him enough to keep him around for the second year. So then he went on to better, bigger and better things. I think he went on with the Rangers and then he went to the Red Sox and then off to the Giants and, and uh, the Sunday night games with Joe Morgan. So the, the 74 team boost won 90 games. They were 90 and 72. Uh, previous years when, when the A's got into the postseason in advance, they had a few more wins. What do you recall about the way that season was coming together? You still had Reggie. You still had Sal Bando. You still had Joe Rudy. You had all the pitching of Vida and Catfish and Blue Moon and Kenny Holtzman. What what kind of a year were you watching unfold for the A's as they were trying to, it seemed like, really create some history, getting back-to-back-to-back World Series for the first time since the Yankees in the 50s? Well, I know we were probably most hated team in baseball at the time because we had one, two in a row. We're en route to three. Other owners hated Charlie Finley. And so I think we were kind of despised by baseball, although not so much appreciated, but respected. So uh, we went in that season and I think it came down to uh, in September, the, uh, I think it was Kansas City that was chasing us. And they came into Oakland and I think we shut them out two games in a doubleheader. And that was the last we heard of them and we rolled on. And only 90 wins, it doesn't compare to a 100 win season. But I think we were never really challenged that year until the uh, playoffs. And I won't even say the World Series for that matter. No no season in the Charlie Finley era, no season in this great run of consecutive game, uh, postseason, the consecutive World Series, was absent of some confrontation internally inside the clubhouse. The most famous one, of course, in June of, of uh, 1974, Billy North and Reggie Jackson and Ray Fossey's in the middle of it. I mean, that 
that was maybe the, the most publicized of, of all the confrontations uh, Ace players had over the years and certainly cost Ray a lot of time, didn't it? It did. He slipped a disc trying to break up the fight. And Kenny Holtzman and Dick Green and somebody else were playing bridge. They just looked up and said, let him fight. And then Ray got involved trying to break it up, not knowing, and uh, slipped a disc and uh, missed a good part of the season. And, you know, when we talk about uh, fights in the clubhouse or arguments or whatever, this is one that was a little different because Billy was not from the A's organization. Uh, we'd got him from the Cubs before the 73 season. Reggie was, and they were somewhat the talk was over some girl then they went at it and we had another fight the day before the game one at dodger stadium and that was raleigh and blue moon and it was it was friendly heckling that got a little serious again these are two guys that played together in the minor leagues they came up and i always use the the comparison it's like two brothers fighting and then 10 minutes later they're friends and they're back playing together so um it was kind of funny that the, that one fight, unfortunately, cost Ray all those times because, like I said, Holtzman and Dick Green just looked up and from their card game, they played rigid at the time and said, oh, another couple of guys is fighting. Don't worry about it. And they also said, hey, I think we'll win big tonight because we just had another fight, right? That's what they kind of – that's the way they always kind of looked at those kind of things. And they said that before game one of the series against the Dodgers, too. Somebody said it really changed the odds in Vegas. I can't prove that. But <laughs> Boos, can you speak to the mood, if you will, of – uh, the country. I mean, you're you're like you mentioned. You're 22. Uh, earlier in the year, Hank Aaron passed Babe Ruth, becoming the all-time home run leader. Uh, the president of the United States resigns. President Nixon resigns in August. The Vietnam War, which certainly did a lot to divide our country, and and that was coming to a close. Before we get to the playoffs, can can you recall what it was like living in Northern California? seeing these different events unfold and and maybe what that meant to a 22 year old who's just simply working for a baseball team and trying to have some fun doing that well you know what part of it was the uh, watergate thing with nixon which forced him to resign and everybody kind of followed that it was great theater on tv aaron passes ruth i know it was opening day in cincinnati i was driving back from spring training and i heard on the radio that he that he he had tied ruth then and then he wasn't going to there was a controversy whether he was going to play over the weekend because he wanted to break the record in Atlanta before the hometown fans. So he breaks the record, you know, and then the skeptics say, well, he had so many more at-bats than Babe Ruth, and it doesn't matter. He broke the record, he's got the record, and congratulations to Henry. So the war coming to a close, I'll never forget, in the 72 series, we took World Airways, a big charter company based in Oakland who made their money on on, uh, charters for the government and for soldiers. And he, Ed Daly was from Oakland. We took his plane. He had the biggest one at the time, a 707, which there was no 747s, and they were just coming into, into play. And we had a good time. And now at the beginning of the 74 season, there's a great video when everybody's leaving Saigon and the plane is taken off. And Ed Daly is a multimillionaire owner, and he's pushing people away from the plane so they can take off with the American people before they became hostages to the North Vietnamese. So that, that, that kind of resonates in my mind, knowing Ed Daly, meeting him some two years before and what had happened. And then you couple that with Watergate, Nixon's resignation, keeping Aaron's records aside. I mean, there was a lot happening that year, just like you're pointing out. So um, it was, uh, it was a, a strange year. It was, uh, I don't know, maybe go back as not a strange year until last year, too, so comparing it. 
Well, it's, it's the A's and it's the Orioles again uh, in the postseason in the American League Championship Series. I mean, the A's and Orioles were becoming uh, very, very familiar with each other during October. The A's won that series three games to one, but Baltimore won the first game. I want to go through a few of the moments of those of, of those games, but as you were preparing, as the A's were preparing for for that postseason, uh, what, what was your sense of of where the club was and, and their sense that they could actually do this one more time? Well, we opened that playoff series in Oakland, and I think Catfish got beat that game. And if he didn't take the loss, he, he gave up some runs, and that was his first postseason loss. So everybody started worrying. Was this a year we're not going to do it? And then we go. Then we run off three straight wins. Uh, the last being that exciting game, and then uh, flew into L.A. for the series. But uh, yeah, that was the third out of fourth year that we were playing Baltimore in the playoffs. Uh, second year in a row that we beat them, and we were a better club by then. They were better than us in '71, but we become better in 73 and 74. So it was an exciting series. Uh, the first one, it didn't go the length of five games. So four games, we beat them and we move on. We've talked about Vida in the past, certainly the magical 71 campaign, Cy Young, MVP, and 24 wins. But his postseason numbers were spotty at best. And yet in that series in 74 in the ALCS, he throws a complete game, two-hitter. He wins a game on a on – a, uh, Sal Bando home run. What kind of vindication was there for Vida just showing how special the pitcher was? Ken Holzman was getting a lot of accolades. Catfish certainly getting a lot of accolades. You know, Raleigh saving games. Daryl Knowles finishing every game of a – pitching in every game of the World Series the previous year. How important do you think that game was uh, for Vida Blue to win in that series against Baltimore? He had mixed postseason results. I mean, in 71, he started either game one or two, and we got beat. And now you go to games. Now you go to 1972, and he does a great uh, relief job of four scoreless innings in in the game in Detroit, the deciding game, game five after uh, Blue Moon had to come out. But then in, uh, he starts game six in the 72 series after we've flown all night, got into Cincinnati at 3:30, 4 o'clock in the morning, and uh, Vida was uh, started that game, and that was the only game that wasn't a one round decision i think we got beat eight to one so his numbers weren't that good although the one game in detroit 72 so this this, this is pretty good vindication it shows that vita was back he won 20 games that year he had a good season but uh, that was probably i mean i rate that right up there with the four innings of short shutout relief in 72 game five against detroit how many teams went a postseason game boost with one hit which is what the ace did in that series as well i mean it, to think about the kind of pitching that the A's had and the kind of pitching they were facing at that time against the Orioles and to pull that off in that manner. And that, that's a, that is so special, so unique, and that the A's were able to do it that way. Well, they say you can go to the ballpark any day and see something you've never seen before, and that's the truth on that day, and you might not ever see that again. You know, one hit to win a game, that's amazing when you think about it. So it's the Dodgers. The Dodgers who have, what, Steve Garvey, who won the MVP that year at first base. They've got Davey Lopes at second. They've got Bill Russell at short. They've got Ron Say at third. They would play together eight consecutive years. It's the A's and the Dodgers. The Dodgers were now trying to make their move forward after going through a little bit of a rebuilding. They won over 100 games. It wasn't necessarily the, uh, the Harris versus the Squares, but did, did you feel like there was something different about that? And this was a California World Series, too. I mean, A's and Dodgers on the West Coast. How big a deal was that? It was a pretty big deal. Uh and uh, the Dodgers players hyped it up by saying only one guy on their team, on our team, would start for them. And I think they're referring to Reggie Jackson. 
so they kind of, you know, the Dodgers have the following, the national following. They were in Brooklyn. They, they're in the World Series as soon as they came out to L.A. in 58, 59. They've been in other World Series, 63 and 66. And so I think they had more of a national following. The only following we had was through our success in the early 70s, 71, 2, 3, now 4. So uh, everybody loved the Dodgers, but I think a lot of the Giant fans were rooting for us because they hated the Dodgers, but it was a it was a pretty big thing because we're on a big stage again. I mean, it wasn't New York in '73, but it was LA in '74. Uh, we were kind of thankful because travel was so much easier. It's only an hour flight versus five hours going back. So, um, and like I said, they they excited us and they kind of pumped us up. And Holtzman always said that uh, when they had that little brush back with uh, Raleigh and Blue Moon before the game on actually on Friday's workout that now we should be the favorites for sure. I, I don't know if the bookies took took that uh, word, serious words, but we were, it seemed like we were underdog all three years in a World Series, and uh, we had an easier time with the Dodgers than we did with the Mets or the Reds. It, it certainly was a different time, Boos, to the way that you mentioned it's a much more reduced pitching staff. And in game one, Kenny Holtzman starts. Actually, I think he scores on a suicide squeeze or he lays down a suicide squeeze, but he doesn't go the – required five innings Raleigh goes four plus to get the win and the save goes to catfish in the game one facing Joe Ferguson what was that dynamic like just certainly at that time of the year you believe that all hands are on deck but the way that that came together specifically in game one kind of set the tone for maybe what was going to lie was going to come forward in that series what's funny is this never got any publicity I don't know if anybody heard it but besides me and a few other people in the dugout. So Alvin goes out there and brings Catfish in for the save. And Dick Green goes, geez, this guy scares me to death when you bring him in for a save. You can start him for nine, but one one inning it scares me to death. Well, he got the save. He, Joe Ferguson swung and missed at the first pitch, and, uh, or he took a strike, and he yelled at Catfish something. And a couple of pitches later, Joe has struck out, so Catfish got the best of him. And we love that fact. And it's uh, – and get win game one. Now we go to game two and, and Sutton's pitching. I'll never forget Reggie. Reggie flew out or he was doubled up on second base or something. And he ran by the mound and Sutton yelled at him. Sutton was from the South and was a big soul food guy. And he was asking Reggie during game of two of the world series. Hey, Reggie, would I be allowed to go to Lois, the pie queen soul food restaurant on San Pablo in Oakland? And Reggie did a double take and said, sure. And I'll say, Kenny's guys are talking about restaurants in game two of the World Series. It's pretty funny. Kenny Holtzman, uh, uh, which is a great trivia question, he started game one of the 72, 73, and 74 World Series. He doesn't get the decision in game one. He's pitching in game four, and he hits a home run, and the A's win that game five to two. Uh, is Kenny Holtzman, I don't want to say underappreciated, but where is Kenny Holtzman in the conversation about this collection of, of pitchers that the A's have had throughout the course of their entire history? Well, you know what? Uh, Kenny came over and he had a history of, of being a leader on the Cubs for the pitching staff, although he and DeRocher didn't get along. But uh, he was involved in union negotiations. Uh, he knew Marvin Miller. He had uh, participated in player negotiations with the owners. So he's a real smart guy. And a lot of people didn't know he had actually had a master's degree in French, of all things. And uh, But he was businesslike. Uh, he's also, I think, the winningest Jewish pitcher ever. I think he got more wins than Koufax. He was a leader of that pitching staff, and to get the, to start those things, those games, it didn't bother him. He was nine and seventeen his last year with the Cubs, and he comes to us and he's starting game one 
of the World Series in, in Cincinnati, where his last outing there, he had pitched a no-hitter. There's all these variables with Kenny Holtzman. He was, and he was a good leader for the pitchers. He was looked up to by the pitchers. Even a guy like Catfish Hunter looked up to Kenny Holtzman. Boo should go back to 72, and, and one of the iconic plays was Joe Rudy making the catch on the wall on Dennis Menke. Uh, you look at 73, and Ray still talks about to this day, the play the play with Buddy Harrelson trying to score, thought he was safe. Uh, Willie Mays pleading from behind home plate as Augie Donatelli ruled that he was out. And then in Game 5 of the 74 World Series, there's a play involving Bo Buckner putting the ball in play and hitting it to the outfield, and Reggie and Dick Green combining. Uh, give us your remembrances of maybe a, a very special play, certainly in, in Ace history and World Series history. Well, I think Reggie got the ball because Billy North uh, made a mistake somewhere out there. He couldn't get to it or he, he fumbled it. So Reggie picked it up, threw it to Dick Green, who was a fielding star of that series, and then relayed a bando to nail Buckner at third. And, and it was this amazing thing. The fans went absolutely nuts, especially Buckner being one of the guys that was calling out the A's before the series started. And uh, so he's thrown out at third. And it, I would say it's almost a turning point of that game four or game five. You know, you've got uh, you've got Tommy Lasorda coaching at third base. It's a one-run game. Everything was tough and tight, so every ninety feet certainly mattered. And for that to happen for him to try to take that that extra base, Ray Fossey has a big home run in that game too. So I mean, there, I mean, Ray had a pretty good series. I mean, when he came over, like you mentioned, you know, he had come back from from the the collision in nineteen seventy, the All Star game, but then in seventy four had the the issue in June, and here he is contributing in a big way, not only behind the play, which he was always known for, but also with the bat, which he did early in his career with Cleveland. Well, and when we got him in trade in 73, he was pretty well regarded as the second best catcher in baseball to Johnny Bench, and he was the American League's Johnny Bench, and I remember other teams remarking, oh, geez, the A's are really stacking up more. They've improved themselves with the catchers. But uh, Ray's home run was big in that game, but no, none bigger than Joe Rudy's when that incident happened in left field where they're throwing stuff on the field, they stopped the game. I'll never forget. I was on the, on, on the grounds there by the Dodger dugout. Cause I was still in the visiting clubhouse at that point. And I didn't think about what Joe Rudy thought. And it shows you the difference between me being a 22 year old kid or Joe Rudy, a professional athlete. He noticed that Marshall, Mike Marshall in relief who had pitched in 106 games that year, 200 innings, Notice that he hadn't thrown any pitches at all. Just guessed that he was going to come in with a fastball, and he did. Home run, winning run, held on. We win third World Series in a row. What was the celebration like? Well, I was in the Dodger clubhouse, so there was no celebration <laughs> there. It wasn't like 88 when Tommy Lasorda came in and made this big thing about how great everybody is. But in uh, 74, it was a very silent clubhouse. These guys had, they knew they were traveling back anyway, so their bags were packed and everything. But uh, they didn't, they didn't, uh, I don't think they respected us completely. But what about the city? How did the city react to a third straight World Series? Well, you know, in 72, we had a big parade, and that was the biggest one in downtown Oakland. There was rumored to be 400,000 people in the stand in the parade route. And 73 is a little bit subdued. And I think it was because it was the second year in a row. And some of the blemish had been taken off the World Series with the Mike Andrews, Charlie Finley thing. And in 74, the parade was even smaller. And they wanted to put the front office into an antique garbage truck. And our front office refused to do it. Of course, the front office then was about 15 people. 
but the city was jacked about it. And there, I mean, it got to be a point where during those kind of days, a celebration was down at Jack London Square, and it was relatively peaceful, just people having a good time out there. But the city uh, to win three in a row was unprecedented since the early 50s. So, uh, you know, Oakland made its mark that way. And you still feel strongly today that that 74 is the season wow. that, that jumps out for you as maybe maybe the best in, in Oakland history in your 54 years? You know what? Sal Bando will argue with me. He says 73, but I say 74. And Tony LaRusso will say 89. And the 89 team was really, really good. But something about that 74 team with so few pitchers and then the 89 World Series, a little blemish on there because of the earthquake. You know, if that wouldn't happen, would the Giants have come back? Who knows? But I, I still like the 74 series team that won that World Series the best. Well, great memories as always, Vuce. 1974 is a great ride. Appreciate the visit. Look forward to the next episode as we uh, probably finish out the decade of the 70s and get ready for some changes uh, in Oakland starting uh, in 1980. Thank you so much. Looking forward to it. Thanks, Vinny. Memories with Vuce. Steve Vucinich, the A's longtime clubhouse manager, retiring after 54 years with the organization. This has been a presentation of the Oakland Athletics. It's blazing hot outside. You get in your car to turn on the AC to get cold air pumping, but it blows hot air out. This issue is commonly caused by low refrigerant due to leaks in the AC system. You want an easy, all-in-one solution that will restore the cold air in no time. AC Pro Recharge Kits. Make restoring cold air easy for even those with zero DIY experience in less than 10 minutes. Save time and money versus going to a shop by picking up an AC Pro Recharge Kit today. Be a pro with AC Pro.